listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast where people with all abilities and challenges can stand out from the rest, even if they've got to sit down to do it. I'm Ben and Dykstra, the Rolling Dragon, and it's time for this show to take flight. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sit Down Standout Show the podcast that gives people with all abilities and challenges a chance to stand out from the rest, even if they have to sit down to do it. I'm recording an unusually early hour today because I've got a very special guest with me all the way from Tasmania, Australia. He is a author, a father of three, and a survivor as he continues to smash the stigma of living with bipolar disorder. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Will Braid. Will, how are you? Good, Ben. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good for 7 in the morning in Canada. It's uh, 11 at night here in Tasmania, so what have we got? Uh, it's a 14, 15, 6, some sort of difference, I don't know. Quite the difference. I know I would not survive if we were on an airplane trying to get there. <laughs> That's quite true. Yeah. So, on to how we start things. You mentioned in your forum when you applied to be on the show that you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 29. Can you explain to our listeners who might be unfamiliar with bipolar disorder, the type of bipolar disorder that you have, and if anyone in your life or a friend or a family member noticed that there was not necessarily something wrong with you, but there was something different about you at the time? Yeah, great question, Ben. Um, I suppose bipolar disorder manifests itself. It used to be called manic depression, so a lot of people would know it as manic depression. Uh, it basically has you at either end of the spectrum in terms of uh, giddying highs and debilitating lows. That's probably the best way to describe it in my, in my book anyway. So um, growing up, I was, um, I don't know, a little bit moody and a little bit... Um, up and down, up and down, never could really settle on too much stuff. But it wasn't until I was into my late 20s where things sort of didn't take a nasty turn, but things were a little bit uh, unusual. There were some behaviours going on that uh, wouldn't be considered normal, and that's when uh, my wife and I sort of had a decent conversation and we followed the path down the medical road. Right, because there's a di- for everyone who is listening to this, there are different levels of bipolar for everybody. Everyone's individual case is different. Sometimes when people are going through what's called an episode of mania, they might not be able to think clearly and make impulsive choices. So it's a smart thing to, if you feel that you're having weird symptoms, consider talking with family members, consider going to your doctor, because you never know what could happen. That's exactly right. And, I mean, for me, some of the those impulsive uh, urges were what really triggered the conversation around bipolar disorder. So... Uh, there was one day that I brought two new cars just because I felt like buying two new cars was an impulsive thing to do. Uh, I brought a house uh, in a town that we had never planned to live in and would never live in a, in a pink fit, if I'm bloody honest. But, um, yeah, that was something I did. Uh, but the one that was – there's a couple of high-range drink driving. I was never caught by the police and I never had an accident, but there was some high-range drink driving um, situations. But the worst one, I suppose – not the worst one, but the strangest one was um, – one night I couldn't sleep. Um, mania will keep you awake. It's a bit of an insomnia um, enhancer. Two o'clock in the morning, I went out to my shed and my garage and thought I'll clean it. I'll just tidy it up and move some things around. And I lit a fire because I had a fireplace in the shed and it was fantastic. 
and I've stripped all my clothes off into the nude and cleaned my shed. What? Yeah, and that's when uh, that's when Sarah woke up, found me not in bed, and came out looking for him. You saw the light on in the shed. Are you naked in the shed? Oh my goodness, that must have been quite the. I'm like, I'm not. I don't know, honey. I just am. And the scary part about that was it happened twice. Oh wow. Well, I mean, it's not the worst thing that you could have done. Could have done a lot worse things, but uh, that was certainly one of the two of the well, two, one, whatever you call it, bizarre moments, if you like. And that's when we sort of thought something's not quite right here. Something needs addressing, and and it's time to talk to a healthcare professional. Right now, when you started talking to the health professional, you were twenty nine at the time. And I don't think you're 29 now, but I would imagine that it's been a few years since your initial diagnosis. But how has yep. taking care of yourself from a physical and a mental health aspect evolved over the years? Yeah, it's a really good question and a really timely question because I've been, since that diagnosis, I've been taking lithium, which is a very old drug and a drug used for manic depression and bipolar for a lot of years. And uh, it's it's a bit of a wonder drug in that regard for me as a mood stabilizer. So I've been on that for nine years, nine, yeah, nine years. <laughs> and um, but recently, um, a few situations have happened, and I went off my uh, medication for a couple of weeks, and it caused a massive depressive phase in the last two weeks. That was, you know, trigger warning, you know, bordering on suicidal, and that sort of thing. So um, medication is a massive thing for me. Um, I'm taking I think, six pills a day, but I don't care. If it keeps me normal and regular and, and regulated, I'm fine with that. The other thing is um, is physical exercise. I'm not the fittest person. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of carrying a, what would it be, uh, be probably 200 pounds in the, in the American language, 96 kilos Australian. And, but I play hockey, I, um, field hockey. I love field hockey. I'm a coach. I'm a player. Uh, an administrator as well, and I use the physical exertion of playing hockey to um, keep me fit and also keep me balanced. That's a common denominator I found with a lot of my guests who have been on previously is when you're struggling with your mental health, the importance of exercise and a structured routine in your life cannot be underestimated. It can't be understated at all. And, and exercise, I mean, it, it sounds like, oh, diet and exercise, diet and exercise, you know, fucking do the right thing, you know, you've got to do the right thing. But it, it's not always about that. It's about the what I find playing hockey is the camaraderie and the teamwork and the, the fellowship of your mates that you're playing with. That has as big as bigger impact on me as um, as actually playing the game and getting the physical endorphins flowing. Like it's the it's the camaraderie and the mates. Right, the relationships that you get with other people. I yeah, get yeah. that because I used to play sledge hockey, which is like hockey for people in wheelchairs when I was younger. So Wicked. I get that. Wicked. Oh, yeah. Let's see that. <laughs> that depends on who's pushing, whether you want to see that or not. Because if you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you're out of shape and you're trying to wheel the sledge yourself, you might just get stuck on the ice. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I love it. So good. But what I found is, uh, hockey season finished about eight weeks ago, and in that eight weeks, I've really yearned for that physical activity and the the competitiveness and the or competition side of it as well, as well as the hanging out with your friends and you know, enjoying enjoying each other's company after a game. You are a author of a children's novel, 
Murray the but Murray the Budgie. Can you kind of explain where yep. that inspiration came from and who some of your writing influences are? Yeah, so Murray the Budgie um, is a character that I developed. We had a budgie named Murray, a uh, little blue and yellow fella. He was really cool, and we let him fly around the lounge room and spread his wings and have all the fun he liked, but uh, we put him back in his cage when we were finished. Well, one day... My youngest son, Jensen, who I'll refer to as Moose from now on because we call him Moose, Moose left the door open and the budgie was gone, out the door, fucking vanished. So we had three very upset kids and I was in the middle of a, of a manic phase and part of the manic process or manic phases is I get really, really creative. So the budgie was gone. I had three upset kids. I had to find a way to make the kids feel better about losing their family pet. So I wrote a book. Uh, Murray and the Seagull, where Murray goes to the beach, meets a seagull named Jensen. That is a very cool story, and I was looking into it, and I liked the fact that you gave the seagull, oh, he is a handicapped seagull, because me me, me having cerebral <laughs> palsy, I can relate to needing other people for a little bit of extra assistance, so I really like that. The, um, the overarching theme with all the Murray stories, all 10 of them, is, is about helping. It's about doing something for somebody else and bringing them up and bringing them. They might feel, you know, they might be down, they might be depressed, they might be lonely, they might be hungry, they might be anything. But Murray's mission in life is to help people and bring them up, and that's what the whole thing's about. It's not about a handout. It's about a hand up for Murray. Right. Now, you mentioned your son, which I love the fact that you nickname him Moose because that's actually a name I want for a dog in the future. I'm going to get, like, a tiny dog and give him a big dog name. Yes. Yeah. yes. But how important to you is teaching your children to respect the mental health of other individuals as they're in their school years? Because to me, it feels like the school system worldwide tries to teach us not to be a bully, to be polite, to be respectful. But at that age, when we're still developing as kids, we don't understand the negative effects that that can have on someone mentally and physically. We don't have a clue. Yeah, so we, Sarah and I, we, um, what's the word? I don't want to sound like a wanker and say that we're so good and we're so amazing, but we really try and instill in our kids the, the values of kindness and helping and, and being a good human. And we don't care what our kids do in terms of they might be, they might be an A student, they might be a C student. I don't care as long as they're a bloody good person. Obviously, we want them to do well. Of course we want them to do what we want them to achieve because they're our kids and we want them to you know, go and have bigger and better lives than what we had because that's how evolution works. But um, as long as you're being a good person, my kids have seen me in the deep, dark lows. Uh, they've seen me in the manic highs. They've seen me institutionalized. Um, they've seen all the different gambit of bipolar disorder. Um, one of my sons, my eldest son, is neurodivergent himself. So... He's, he battles with that. He's got ADHD, so he battles with neurodivergence. Um, my daughter is being looked at for ADHD. Uh, my youngest son, Moose, he's got Tourette's. So we all understand that everyone's running their own race and they've all got their own individual battles. But if you're kind and happy and ha and good to other people, other people will be good to you and, and life you know, becomes a lot better. That's absolutely true. I mean, when I was in school, I was an honor student. But if I was an asshole, yeah. I would not nearly have the same opportunities that I have had. And one thing I have learned is that a lot of times 
people that are struggling in school, if they're good people, opportunities come. Hey, my fellow standouts, it's the Rolling Dragon, Ben and Dykstra, here to ask you a couple of questions as we reach the halfway point in our program. Has life thrown you a curveball? Have you lived with what many people would consider unfortunate circumstances or unique challenges? How have you turned them around into something positive for yourself and for others? Is it your time to stand out from the rest? Well then, register as a guest at www.rollingdragonmedia.com and get ready to stand out from the rest. And now, for the rest of our story. Yeah, it's, it's a... um. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not, I don't believe it's karma. I think it's something along the lines of, it's a bit do unto others, as you, you know, the, the, the golden rule that Americans talk about all the time when you say, I want to tell you, they talk about the golden rule. But um, it, it is, it's, it is a do unto others thing. It's the, you know, be polite, be kind. And an overarching, kind is the thing. Kind and helpful, I think, are the two things that will get you the furthest in life. And speaking of trying to teach someone something, what advice would you give to someone who is either living with bipolar disorder and is relatively like they were recently diagnosed or for family members who are struggling to understand it? Because unless you're in the shoes of someone with bipolar, it can be very difficult to articulate and to explain to anybody. It can be. So for, for me, when I was first diagnosed, I got told um, you are not bipolar, you have bipolar. Your condition doesn't define you. So, you know, I have blue eyes. I'm not blue-eyed. I have blue eyes. My, my eye color doesn't define me. It's just something I have. It's just like I have a beard, I have blue eyes, I have bipolar. It's just something that it is. It doesn't define who I am. I am not it. It is not me. Um, for family members, though, it's a really interesting question. I love it. Um, the For family members, it's a bloody hard fight. Like, you know, I... I Try not to think of myself as fighting it every day, as fighting to be who I want to be. But for family members to sit back and watch you um, go into an institution or um, overdose on um, your medication or things like that, you know, for them to sit back and, and see that happen. If if you uh, identifying that somebody is, you know, you know, you, know, you, you missed um, football training this week, mate. Are you okay? Um, you didn't turn up to choir. Are you okay? You know, things like that. Starting a conversation can really change, um, change and save lives. Right. So saying these little things, checking in on someone, making sure that even though you might not understand exactly what's going on, showing that you care. Because if you try to be all up in someone's face about it, being like, "Oh my God, what are you doing? You're missing football. You're missing choir. You're going to go down the dark road." That's not going to help mm. at all. That's only going to exacerbate the issue. The important thing is to send, yeah, yeah. send polite, respectful, are you okay, buddy? Do you need some help or whatever? And then just let them go on their own journey because uh, you have to figure it out for yourself. So in Australia, we have a thing called Are You Okay Day. Is that something that happens in the Northern Hemisphere as well? I believe we have Mental Health Awareness Months, where yeah. it's like in January... It's like if you send, if you text this number, they send twenty five cents to the mental health association in January. Yeah, cool. So we have Are You Okay Day, and it basically just encourages people to ask the question, Are you okay? It's not a a big question, it's not a big scary question at all. But it's like, Are you okay? And it, it might it might induce say, Yeah, mate, I'm fine. Or you know what? Shit at the fan. I'm really struggling. Or 
mate, I'm flying. This is so great. Life's awesome. It might be too far on the other side. But just that simple question, are you okay, can really um, just point people. It starts a conversation, and conversation is what um, separates us from the animals, I reckon. Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. Even though we're starting to become a bit more antisocial with all the technology, I still yes. think that, like, if you take the small steps, you can accomplish a lot. But given how you've had bipolar since you were 29 and you're approaching your 40s now, who has been who has been inspiring you to keep going during the tough times? Because I know that family can be an important factor. I know that Robin Williams is a big inspiration to me to keep going when I have a rough day. Yep. Because, I mean, look at the amazing life you can have just by giving other people love. You're right. And inspiration can be drawn from anywhere. Like, um, from a mental health point of view, I draw inspiration from my family, my kids. Um, Sterling, Zara, and Jensen—they're—they're they're so important to me. My wife, Sarah, of course, and my broader family, mum and dad, and you know those sort of people. My good mates around me. Celebrity-wise, it's—it's really interesting. Robin Williams is a massive uh, inspiration for me. Um, he was—he lived with bipolar as well. There's so many really interesting people who have lived with bipolar over the course of the time. And one thing I'd encourage any new. Um, uh, patient isn't the word, you know the word I mean, you know, uh, newly diagnosed people, newly diagnosed people, is explore who may have had bipolar in the in the past, like Vincent van Gogh, Kurt Cobain, um, Vivian Lee, uh, you know, there's some really big names and people have done remarkable, Catherine Zeta-Jones is another one. Um, but the one for me, the, the biggest inspiration for me, bipolar-wise and mental health-wise, is a bloke called Stephen Fry from England. Um, his his movie that he made, uh, The Secret Life of a Manic Depressant, um, is just top drawer content. It's fantastic, and he's a very smart person. He's just a an, an articulate wordsmith. And yeah, if I was half as smart as him, I reckon I'd be going all right. And I would also, even though I haven't met many individuals with bipolar, given what I've researched about it, I would also encourage anyone who's newly diagnosed. Once they realize the type of symptoms that can be associated with bipolar, I would also try to explore your creative interests more. Because that way you can mm. turn what would be considered episodes of mania into your advantage instead of your disadvantage. Those creative uh, creative juices are such an amazing thing. Like um, I've written books and I've written all sorts of cool stuff in manic episodes. Um, I think... You look and see someone like Kurt Cobain, for me, the Nirvana lead singer. I mean, I know um, Bipolar claimed him in the end, um, which is a you know, terrible demise and a terrible thing. But what he was able to produce in those five years of Nirvana um, with Chris Novoselic and David Grohl and produced music that defined a, absolutely defined a generation and changed the shape of music uh, across the world was just phenomenal. And you know, he did it with this. Uh, this thing on his back. Amen. Smells like teen spirit every oh, time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, yeah, so yeah, that exploring your creative side is, is a remar remarkable thing. I mean, you don't have to be like Van Gogh and cutting ear off to right. be famous, but you can still paint remarkable things. <laughs> yeah, don't go cutting your ear off. <laughs> no, I wouldn't suggest that. No. Um, here's a tough one. 
if you had the ability mm-hmm. to say snap your fingers, bipolar, gone, would you do it? I've had this question before, actually, and I, I, the, the honest answer is I don't bloody know. Um, yes, sometimes, but other times when you're, when, I, when I'm set and going well, when everything's going really well and I've got clarity in the mind and I've got uh, creative juices flying but not quite into a manic phase, sort of um, going nicely, I really do enjoy the ride sometimes. But other times it can be so just fucking debilitating and you, you just yeah, you, you do anything to get rid of it. It's a bit like... Um, uh, it's a bit like having a, a blister on your foot. You do anything to get rid of it, or tinea, or athlete's foot, or something. You just get rid of it and get it away. But at the same time, there can be these little moments where it just becomes. And, and the other thing too, I found with bipolar is I've met some remarkable people through it. So I've got a um, a chat group with friends in the US, uh, one in Florida, and a couple. I don't even know where they are. You know, they're just people I've met through various chat groups and and groups online and Facebook and that sort of stuff. And I've met some amazing people, uh, a fellow named Daniel Magno in Brazil. I'm not going to meet someone from Brazil, but, you know, I've met him through these groups and I've met some amazing friends because of it. So it, it has been a blessing. You know what? I actually have to say the same thing because even though c- cerebral palsy does get annoying for me from time to time, I say to myself, sure, you could have been this, you could have been that if you were not born with it. But think of all the experiences you wouldn't have if you weren't born the way you are. Think about all the people that you would have not met along your journey if you were not born with cerebral palsy. Think about the perspective that you wouldn't have. Mm. There's, a, there's a saying in Australia, which I'll pass on to you now. The saying is, if your auntie had balls, she'd be your uncle. <laughs> and that's all you can look at. <laughs> Oh, that's a great one. Oh. oh, Will, where can people find a lot of the projects that you're working on? And will we see more of Murray the Budgie? Well, we're hoping to see more of Murray the Budgie. I, I had a bit of a, a stoush with the publisher, so that, that publisher is not doing Murray the Budgie anymore. So I'm, I'm actually on the lookout for another publisher. So any publishers listening, hey, I've got 10 books written ready to go. Um, so if I can find another publisher, then the, the series will continue, which would be great. Um, at the moment, I'm working on a few projects. Um, one, uh, cricket-related. I love cricket. I'm a big fan of that. I know. Interesting fact, you're a Canadian. You probably know this fact. Um, the first international game of cricket between two countries was between the U.S. and Canada. And I am just learning that now. All I know about, cr- All I know about cricket is it's very popular in India. Very popular in India. It's the second most played sport in the world behind uh, soccer or football, whatever you like to call it. Um, so I'm working on a cricket book at the moment. I'm actually going to start a project in the next little bit, which is sort of top secret, but I'll let you in on it. I've got a a person I'm working with who's done two tours in Afghanistan with the with the Australian Army. So he wants to tell his story. So we're working on a book to get his story out as well, which would be just incredible. And he's a great fella. Really, really good bloke, and uh, I'd love to tell his story really well too. So that's a project for next year. Oh, and I'd also be happy to share his story on here if that would be of interest. Yeah, no, he he would he would certainly do that. He's a very chatty sort of fellow. He loves a yarn. You won't get many words in because he'll talk too much, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. I've already had people who I can't get a yarn in edgewise. 
<laughs> That's probably me. No, it's been a couple of ladies I've had on. But uh Ah, excellent. No, I mean yeah, I reckon you'd be keen for a chat, so I'll have a I'll have you. All right. So Will, it has been great to have you on the show. And we look forward to sharing your story with everyone here who listens to this podcast. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I, I reckon um, what you're doing is amazing. Um, the opportunity to get people to talk about their, their lives and talk about um, you know, different things that are going on, whether it's um, you know working with cerebral palsy or bipolar disorder or you know an amputee or whatever the case may be. Everybody's running their own race. Everybody's got their own individual thing they're battling and they're fighting and and if people are going to keep fighting they need allies you can't win a war without allies and if you've got allies like what you're doing here helping people in the in the um in the dis, yeah the disabled community it's it's just marvelous i'm really pleased that i had the chance to have a chat to you ben well it's been a pleasure to chat with you will and from all of us here at the sit down standout show i'm ben and dykstra the rolling dragon and we shall see you next time